Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. Happy Sabbath, everybody. We nice and toasty in here? Hallelujah. Thank you for that song, Keith. I am ready for you now. Um, good morning. What a blessing it is to be able to before you come before you today and, and, uh, and speak. I have some things to say, and I'm excited about it. I'm just letting you know ahead of time that we might be here for a little bit. We've got no better place to go anyway. It's not pretty outside. So since the first Sabbath of 2021, each and every Sabbath, we have been hearing about uh, messages on marriage. And this is the seventh and final week of our marriage series. And it just so happens that it's ending on the day before Valentine's Day. That was in no way planned or even thought of. I just want to clear that up. Uh, and just to clarify, while it is perfectly okay and encouraged uh, for you to go on a date with your uh, special squeeze on the 14th of any month you want to, uh, the Assembly's position on Valentine's Day is that it is a pagan holiday and that we believe uh, believers should not participate in it. So instead of a flying baby named Cupid who uh, flies around and shoots people with arrows that cause them to fall in love, I believe that the good-looking person that you call your husband or your wife that you're sitting next to, that Yahweh has his plan for you that he's working with and not an arrow of love. And his plans for you are a plans to, to prosper, to prosper you and not to harm you, and plans to give you hope and a future. And he wants that for your marriage as well. He wants that for all of our marriages. And these past six weeks, we have been hearing messages of encouragement, of wisdom, of do's and do nots, messages of what a marriage looks like that is blessed by Yahweh and modeled after his ways. Hallelujah. But even more than what does it look like, what does it live like? Because all, who all here knows that it's easier, a lot easier to make something look like it's something beautiful than it is to make it live like it's something beautiful. And we want our marriages to truly live like they're beautiful and not just look it on the outside. And marriage is no different. And like so many of our speakers these past six weeks, uh, I'm going to say what we all already know, and that is I am no expert when it comes to the field on marriage. And if you stop me or my wife at any given point on any given day, and you ask us to recount the last time we had an argument or a fight, I promise you we will never have to go too far in the past to give you an example. And that's the disclaimer for this message. So now that we've got the legalities out of the way, uh, let's dive into today's message and the final message of this marriage series. And this is a topic which, if you do this properly, all the other things that we've talked about in this series will align better. They'll be easier to do. And, uh, and this is pursuing your spouse, courting your spouse, dating them, being interested in them. What, what Ferris spoke about on week one, you know, you're not perfect, but neither is your spouse. Having grace for your spouse when they've messed up. It's a lot easier when you are actively trying to pursue them, when you're dating them. You know, week two, talking about communication. It's a lot easier and it's better to communicate when you're actively pursuing that person. Having trust in marriage is easier when your spouse and you and your spouse are actively pursuing one another. And each one of you feels that the other is 100% committed and 100% uh, working on making your marriage better today than it was yesterday. And this next one is, is, is huge. Having love and respect is much easier when you and your spouse are actively pursuing one another. Overcoming distraction. Distraction, I mean, baby, the only distraction I have is that I think of you too much. That's what you want, wanting. Finance in marriage is the only one that you could say is probably not, uh, or it's a little bit harder to do whenever you're pursuing your spouse because you're going to want to, you know, spend time with them, go on dates and buy them things. But even that, uh, when you align your financial goals with how you want you to pursue your spouse, what that looks like, your life and your marriage will be better. <clears throat> and I want to say that the wellness and quality of marriage that comes from pursuing your spouse 
in a biblical manner is both applicable to men and to women. So men, listen up today. But ladies, this is for you as well. And I'm a guy, so my experience uh, and line of thinking will probably favor that side of the, the spectrum. But your husband wants to be pursued by you as well. I promise you that. And I have two main points today uh, I want to share with you about pursuing your spouse. That's it. Two points. It's super easy to remember. One is a question and the other is a statement. It's an answer to it. One is, do you know who you're married to? And two is, it's never too late to start. So one, let's jump right in. Do you know who you're married to? Pursuing someone means you never stop learning about them. If you are pursuing a career in a particular field, then you are learning everything there is to know about that occupation. You, have, you will leave no rock unturned, any question unanswered. You'll do everything you can to achieve knowing everything about that occupation. And once you've been doing it for so long, you're going to know a lot, but there's always more to know. There's always more to learn. And maybe you have to do recertifications or continue learning. But you're always wanting to be better at your job. And which is also what we want in our marriage. We want to make it better and better as time goes on. So if we never stop, so if we never stop learning about our field of work, how much more important is the man of your dreams or the woman of your dreams? And here's a kicker that the man or woman that you married, however long ago, is not quite the same person today. They're a little bit different, and you are as well. And maybe you have kids together now, which if there's one thing that can change you, it'll be kids. Maybe they've gotten baptized. Maybe they've, they've lost a parent. Maybe they've just grown up. All these things and a million other things can, can change how someone views the world, how they view life, spiritually and physically. And maybe they've been, maybe they've been inspired to better the community in, in a new way that you have no idea about because uh, of something that's happened in y'all's life. People's hopes and dreams may change over the years, over the decades. And if you are forever dating someone and forever working on your romance, then you get to go along that journey with them. You get to do it together. Because of this marriage series, I know things about my wife that I didn't know before, that I had no idea about until we started going on that journey more intentionally. And that's because I wasn't pursuing her properly. I wasn't asking the right questions. And marriage, marriage is a never ending pursuit. It's a never-ending pursuit of love and growing. I have a handout for everyone, all the, all the couples in the room, if I can get the ushers to help me out with that. And I'm going to ask, uh, please don't open it until you're home or maybe till you're on a date. Um, this is an envelope with a letter, uh, some pages inside that has the potential to help you understand and know your spouse on a deeper level and the same for them for you. It's so simple on, on one hand, but has deep potential as well. This is your homework. It's 36 questions from uh, an author named Arthur Aaron, and they're designed for you and your partner to better know one another on a level that our average day uh, can't provide or provoke. And I would suggest, you might be able to burn through them, but I would suggest that you don't try to do them all in one night or uh, one date. Michelle and I took uh, two hours to complete the first 12 questions, and uh, I think it'll take you a little bit of time as well if you, if you give it some seriousness. But I found out things that I never knew about her, and things she didn't know about me as well. But these que those questions led to other questions and conversations that put us in harmony with one another in a meaningful way. And there's no one on the planet that we should strive to be closer to than our spouse be more intimate with than our spouse. We want to know the person that we are married to in every way possible. And part of that is making a habit to put blocks of time aside for time together. And it doesn't have to mean dropping $100 and, and going to Abilene every week or, or even going out to eat at a restaurant at all. It can, it can be that. Or it can be as simple as, hey, do we want to go on walks on Tuesday evenings? where we are really able to pour into one another. No distractions, no destination. 
And the good thing about working on that dating muscle is the more you do it, the easier and the more creative you're able to get with it. And you start to see opportunities arise in all kinds of situations. A little over a year ago or so, something like that, I was at the hardware store buying some plywood and paint for a project. And uh, I was going to have to paint the plywood. And as I was buying the paint for it, a thought hit me all of a sudden. And uh, I was like, I'm going to go ahead and buy a little bit extra paint for this. So I knew Michelle was heading back from Abilene. Uh, and so I checked her, her location on my phone, and she was about 15 minutes away. I was like, perfect. So I threw the plywood and the paint in the back of my truck, uh, hurried down to the nearest point in the highway where she would you know, pass right by, and uh, I slapped some paint on that 4 by 8 sheet in, in record time. And I'm not, it looked pretty good, I think. And, uh, and I stood it up in the back of my truck. I put the tailgate down. I stood this 4 by 8 sign up, and I... I'm grabbing it, and I'm sitting there waiting for Michelle to come. And, uh, and here she comes along, my sweet Michelle. And she, uh, on the side of the road, there I was in the back of the truck with a four-by-eight sheet of plywood that painted on it. Four o'clock in the afternoon on a regular old boring day of the week. And a, a sign that said, I love Michelle. So she passes by, and then immediately I see the, lock, the brakes just... And you bet that woman came back around. We kissed on the side of the road right there, and we, and we laughed about it. And, uh, and we, went, we went on with our life. I went back to work, and I used the plywood that I, uh, for the project that I originally bought it for. And I was out, you know, $4 for some uh, spray paint. But what that did for us, though, is that it interrupted it. I was letting her know that I'm pursuing you. I'm thinking about you on a 4 o'clock on a Tuesday. And I was thinking about it, and I came to this conclusion that when it comes to a happy marriage, it's never something that we arrive at. You never get there. You, you can never say, ah, we've made it. A healthy marriage is never something that you arrive at or have completed. It's more like renting. And every day you wake up and rent is due. Now, you can make deposits for the future, but you can never just do something in the now that makes your marriage a forever thing, forever fulfilled, forever happy. And that's silly, right, to even consider. You never own it, and you can never stop trying. You should never stop trying. Every day is a journey of life together. And every day you have to wake up and give to your marriage, whether you're 20 or you're 50 or you're 80. Now, that is for a good, healthy marriage. We can stop trying. We can stop pursuing our spouse, their needs, their wants. You see people and you see couples that do this every day. And they can possibly stay married for the rest of their life. They can. But it's not going to be a fulfilled marriage. It's a marriage and a life that is missing key components of love and sacrifice that Yahweh has set up for us to, to fill in the role whenever you have marriage. And one particularly, a couple that comes to mind was this older couple our family knew when I was growing up. And uh, the husband, it seemed, had absolutely totally given up on trying to pursue his wife in any way or to fulfill, you know, uh, her, her needs and, and courtship. And the wife was, was great at reaching out to him, but I, I never saw him reciprocate or, or make any moves towards her emotionally. And they were married until the day they passed away. However, I would say I never saw them happily married. It just seemed that they were married. And to be fair to this couple, uh, I was pretty young, and I could be way off on my assessment. Um, and after all, it is better to live it and not to show it, make it, make it look like it. So maybe they had a great marriage. But regardless, we all know that people, we all know couples that do this. Let's make sure that our marriage isn't one. And not that I suggest that uh, couples should have a lifelong feeling of that puppy dog love where you are totally 100% consumed uh, by thinking of her or him every waking moment of the day. This world would be in a sad state of affairs if everyone was always Twitter-pated, as the Al off Bambi says. One time we had a, a fellow on our guy, uh, we had a fellow in our construction crew when we did heavy equipment operating, and uh, he, he, he was Twitter-pated. I mean, just 100% hate, 
head over heels in love with this girl and she with him. And it was amazing to see. It was exciting to see them together. Um, and one time on, our lunch, on a lunch break, she came by the, the job site and picked him up to go grab some food together. And uh, one of the other guys on the crew, you know, so I'm going to pull a prank on him. So he runs over to the dozer. And this is August. And uh, turns the heater up all the way. And that's a glass cab. I mean, it gets hot in there fast. And so uh, he does that, and we're sitting there. We eat our lunch, you know. And they get back from their little mini lunch date. He gets back in his dozer and just takes off. And just keeps on driving. No reaction, no response or anything. Well, that's no fun. It's only fun to mess with someone if you get a reaction out of them. And uh, anyways, it was like 30 minutes later, he pulls up and jumps out of the dozer, and he's just pouring out sweat. And he's like, hey, who turned the heater on? And we're sitting there like, dude, you got that love bug bad. 30 minutes in the middle of August before you even realized the heater was on. The Songs of Solomon in chapter 8 says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of Yahweh. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. And there is definitely a reason for this design of unquenchable passion and love. And I love it. Yahweh has it set up for a reason. But it's probably a good thing we don't stay in that puppy dog state of love. Forever, because if we are so distracted to not notice a heater on in August, then it's probably good whenever that feeling subsides a little bit and we're able to operate machinery safely with a little more focus and drive a car with a little more focus, hold down a job. And, but not to, to just stay there, but to move that love from a puppy dog infatuation love, where that's all you can think about, and grow it into a more meaningful, a meaningful state of love. But sometimes in that process, from moving out of the young love stage into the norm of marriage, we drop the ball of actively pursuing our spouse. And that can bring our marriage's growth to a, uh, a, a slow crawl at best and a backward landslide at worst. But whether it's year one or year 50, we need to be pursuing our spouse. We need to be letting them know that beside Yahweh and Yahshua, they are our number one priority. Let's make it the best that we can, that I'm interested in making our marriage the best that it can be. Which that can look so incredibly different for each couple. And that's awesome. So be sure to get on board with your spouse on what that looks like for you. And if you haven't done it in a long time, maybe reconvene. And men, you should still be trying to win her over like you did on that first date. And women, you should still be pursuing your man as well, doing those things that, that uh, you know, made his heart stop before y'all were married. And if I could boast on myself for just a moment, which I can because I'm holding the mic, and that is when Michelle and I were dating, I had the presence of mind to uh, realize that when we get married, all these romantic and thoughtful things that I'm doing at that point, it might not come you know, so easily to me later. And so I should probably write them all down. So like the future, tell the future walker, hey, this is how you court your wife, the future Mrs. York. So I started writing notes for the future walker on how to court the lovely Michelle. And even as I was doing this, I was thinking, like, this is good. This is really big. This is good stuff. So I know what you're thinking, walker. I'm pretty impressed. But hold your applause. Because I have no idea where that notebook is. <laughs> I haven't known where it is in years. So let's be sure that we are actively knowing our spouse. Because we've changed over the years. They change over the years. And so let's be sure that we're working on that journey with them. And to, let's move on to our second point, which is it's never too late to start. And really this point should be called... It's never too late to restart because you already started when y'all were courting and getting to know one another then. Now, hopefully you never stopped pursuing her or you never stopped pursuing him. And this is just, this message is just a refresher course for you. 
But if you're like me and you have the tendency to stop doing things that are good and, and with good quality in your life, and uh, you've stopped pursuing your spouse from time to time, please know that it's never too late to start again. Men, she loves spending time with you back whenever you had $23 in your account and your old junkety truck hardly ever ran. And she will still love spending time with you if you're pursuing her. Even though our tempers might not be perfect and that our hair is thinning at a radical rate, she will still love spending time with us if we're pursuing her. And ladies, the same thing for you as well. He loves spending time with you even though you ate his fries on that day, even though you told him that you weren't hungry. He'll still love spending time with you even though you used to make him watch the notebook. But if you're pursuing him and you have kids jam hand stains on your pants, it doesn't matter. If we're pursuing our spouse, nothing can stand in the way. But what can get in the way of pursuing our spouse are things that we let in. From the, the small, meaningless things, the distractions like phones or TV shows, hurt that hasn't been forgiven or dealt with, that can be a big thing. Maybe a career or our jobs, it, it takes a lot of our time, and we make that our identity and we let that consume us, that can get in the way. Infidelity in the marriage is a hurdle of mountain range proportions that can be overcome, but it's a hard road and a long one to healing. And you can have, and you need to have, you know, a whole teaching, a series on that alone, if that's your scenario. But many times, they are not these huge uh, things that happen that you can put a place and a date on but rather many small repeated instances and circumstances that lead to a relationship that is distant and cold and colder than we want it to be. Studies show that the things that we fight about in the beginning of the marriage will be the same things that we fight about later in marriage. And uh, I don't know if that's depressing or comforting, but... Uh, we should be going from a state of maybe the things that we fight about to the things that we have controversial about. Because that's one thing we need to learn is that if it is true that the same thing we're fighting about from day one of the marriage is the same thing we fight about in day 10, I mean, year 10 of our marriage, then we need to learn the rules of engagement, so to speak, that we can't just be fighting, but being healthy in dealing with conflict in our marriage, because every marriage is going to have conflict. It's just how healthy can you deal with it? And no matter what the reason for the hurt is or the, the barricade and barricades that are between you and your spouse, if we were the ones who caused the hurt or the one who was hurt, we can take steps towards letting our spouse know that we are pursuing them, that we want better than what we have right now. That's what we all want. No matter how good our marriage is, we always want better. We should be wanting better. And we let them know that I'm willing to fight for that. I'm willing to pursue you for that. Let them know I am willing to be on my knees every day, praying to Yahweh for, for us to be one again, to have a marriage of trust and peace, of laughter and romance. Now, romance and the importance of romance cannot be overstated uh, when it comes to marriage. And now because of our, our mixed age group here, um, it can be overexplained, but not overstated. So we're going to move on and leave that for a marriage conference. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Messiah also loved the church and gave himself up for it. You know, Yahshua, from a very young age, began his journey of pursuing his brothers and sisters in love and never slowed down, never gave up, even at the moment of his death, especially at the moment of his death. And Yahshua gives us a shining example of what an active, pursuant love looks like. He told the disciples the same thing in John 13 when he says to them, love one another as he loved them. And then Paul here in Ephesians is giving married people, specifically men, 
the same commandment. Why? Because it's a timeless lesson that is applicable to anyone and everyone, especially people who are married in relationships. And sometimes when we're trying to be romantic and creative, uh, it might uh, backfire on you. Uh, like the time I, uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you it. I'll just tell you. So uh, sometimes it works out. You know, when you have the sign in the back of the truck, you know, and she loved it and she stopped. But sometimes it can backfire. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we were in Washington and we're at the airport. And uh, I'm getting the rental car. And I had this idea, like, man, this is going to blow her away. Like, this is going to be one of those ideas that make her weak in the knees. And uh, she's over there, you know, on the side of the room, on the bench with, you know, all the people over there. And I'm in line waiting to get the car. And I finally get the keys to the car after like half an hour. And I turn around and there's just all these people in this airport. And about as loud as I can say it, I said, uh, paging the most beautiful woman in the world. Paging the most beautiful woman in the world. Your car and your driver is ready. And uh, I'm thinking, this is going to be so good. And she's over there just, I mean, and she's walk, she has her bags and she's walking by and, you know, women are like, oh, that's so sweet. You're so lucky. And I'm just like, yes. And then she walks up and says, like, don't ever do that again. And I think she, uh, I think she meant it. But what's cool is, is that don't let that keep you from trying. So sometimes, you know, you're going to branch out a little bit, pursuing it, and you're going to fall a little bit flat on your face. But don't let that uh, keep you from trying. And sometimes just shifting the way we think about a subject can totally uh, shift our actions on that subject. And I think that idea definitely applies to this. If we can do a mental shift in our mind that the journey of courtship doesn't end when you slip the ring on, but instead that courtship has just begun when you slip the ring on. Again, dating shouldn't end on the marriage night, but it should just get going. The fun has just started. And about a year ago, I really tried applying this uh, thought process in my marriage, and so I started trying to vocalize this idea to let people know and most importantly, let Michelle know that I am constantly trying to think of you as my, as a courting. I'm trying to pursue you. And so I started introducing her as my girlfriend to a few people. And I don't do that anymore. Uh, it just got too awkward, too weird. People were, I, I didn't know, like, is he married? Is he not married? Is this his mistress? Like his girlfriend? Anyways, it just, it sets yourself up for some problems. So don't even worry about it. I'm just letting you know ahead of time, so don't try that one. But Romans 13, 8 says, don't be in debt to anyone except for the obligation, except for the obligation to love each other. Whoever loves another person has fulfilled the law. When you are in a financial debt to someone, you have to make payments to them. You have to make deposits and you have to do it regularly or you get phone calls from people that are angry with you as Chuck spoke about last week. Don't be in debt to anyone except for the obligation to love each other. Whoever loves another person, to another person has fulfilled the law. And this was speaking, the scripture right here was speaking uh, to a brotherly and sisterly love. But how much more important is it for us to apply this way of thinking to our spouse that we are to be in a love debt to them? a love debt to our spouse forever. And we need to always be intentional about making those deposits. Not just once a year when your anniversary rolls around, but daily, weekly, monthly. And these past, these past weeks have been great for Michelle and I. It, it's challenged us, and, and praise Yahweh, we've been able to kind of springboard uh, a line of communication in our marriage and openness because of these, uh, because of these past weeks and these sermons. And I, I hope that your relationships have also grown over the course of these past weeks. And if you haven't had that breakthrough moment yet, I would say take heart and start trying to open that conversation up soon, maybe this upcoming week. You know, get away from the kids, get away from work. Or maybe, uh, you know, have a conversation that is just full of open questions. 
like you did back when you were dating and Twitter painted over each other. And I, and I know this is really, it's all it's so much easier to say when, when things are good. And it's, it's easier to say things uh, whenever you're up here and, and you're not the one that's suffering or you're not the one that's in the middle of it. You know, because we, we you do that. We suffer from real hurt. Real hurt. In the past, I've had to take a step back before and listen to my own words and try to apply them in the moment. And it's always harder to say it than it is to live it. Let's move over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we'll be spending the rest of our, met, of our time together uh, kind of breaking down this next passage. So let's, let's flip over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to break down the verses 4 through 8. And I know we all know it. Um, this verse, but I think it's such a fitting way to end this series. And these verses weren't written specifically for, for married people, but I do believe that we can take wisdom and encouragement from them when applied to our marriage. Let's start here. Love is patient. Now, I'll mention this same thought again a few times, but so often we need to be, we tend to be more understanding with complete strangers than we do with our own spouse, with the people that we love the most, like our family. And Proverbs 15, 18 says, hot tempers cause arguments, but patience brings peace. How many times has y'all been patient with us when we've, when we've just dove head, head first into a muddy pit of sin? that we willingly jumped head into. We need to have patience with our husband, with our wife. Genesis 2 talks about how this is the person that you are supposed to be one with. Let's be patient and understanding of them like we would be with our own flesh, for they are bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. This is what we're going to be doing if we're actively pursuing them. Love is kind. I forgot who said it, but there was an older woman uh, who once said of her husband, I, I just wish he would treat me as nice as he treats the waitress, as, as, the, as he does our waiters when we go out to eat. So often we speak the rudest to those that we are closest to. The ones that we should be proclaiming the most love over, we're not so often. And if we're guilty of this, let's put an end to it. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2 says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and everything else, and if I have such complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Next is love does not envy. I love what I've heard Joanne say about this in, in the past, uh, about reminding the importance of reminding your spouse that you're on the same team. One does not elevate without the other. And spouses, if you are experiencing uh, success in certain areas, be sure to bring your life partner with you on that journey. Live those moments with them. Include them. Don't let them just be on the sideline. Love does not boast. If we are boosting or boasting ourselves up, then we are almost always putting someone else down. It's hard to boast yourself up if you're not pushing off someone else. And we cannot do this in our marriages. You know, maybe you know, I get up every day at 5 a.m. and start my day off right. You know, no matter what, that's my routine. I don't understand your problem. Why can't you do it? Why can't you have some self-discipline and stick to a plan? If we're boasting in our accomplishments, then we're taking the glory and honor of our actions away from Yahweh and putting it on ourselves in almost in every single case at the expense and the belittlement of someone else. Love does not boast, but it helps and it encourages others to be the best version of themselves. Love is not proud. This is a huge one. If you are too proud to admit it when you're wrong, and when it comes to saying, I'm sorry, it's just, because the, the words are so foreign to you, and it's hard to say it, then you have a lifelong uh, of heartache coming your way. And your spouse 
has even more hurt that is incredibly hard to get let, let go of because they have no place to put it. You know, when you are hurt by your spouse, we, we tend to carry that hurt on us. And we need a place to put it down, but it, it's hard to let go of, especially whenever you're dealing with someone who has, has pride and can't say, I'm sorry. However, intentional or unintentional that hurt was caused. Then it's like a box that they can open up and, and they say, I'm sorry. It's just so easy. You, you can put that hurt down. It's amazing how fast we can get rid of it and we can breathe. James chapter 4 says, Yahweh opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And love does not dishonor others. Many of these points have already been spoken already, but uh, in, the, in the series, and Kyle spoke about this, don't dishonor your spouse in front of people. When you're with your friends, don't say things to make your wife look foolish or make your husband feel small. We oftentimes know the best slash worst things to say to make our, our spouse feel dishonored and embarrassed. And sometimes not really even meaning to, or maybe it's in the name of good fun. But it has been my experience that the little bit of fun that you garner from this is, does not outweigh the cost of sharing too much. You know, having a spouse that can trust you, that you'll do nothing but elevate them when in public. Love is not self-seeking. When we are in a marriage where the husband is pursuing his wife and the wife is pursuing her husband, the idea that we would be seeking what the other person can do for us will be an idea and an emotion from the past. We are to be searching for ways to serve one another, to submit to one another. It says in Ephesians 5, husbands, we are to honor and serve our wife as a weaker vessel. And wives, you are to serve your husbands as leader of the family. Our marriages should not be what, what is my right to have in this marriage, but how may I serve the one that Yahweh has blessed me with? Easier said than done, I know, especially whenever they've caused hurt, whenever y'all aren't in alignment. Whenever you're angry with one another. And which, speaking of anger, love is not easily angered. It doesn't say it doesn't get angry. It says it's not easily angered. And I think the best way to get to where it's not easily angered is when you're doing enough of these other things that we've talked about today in these past weeks that you don't have a chip on your shoulder, that your marriage is whole for the most part. And every time they say something that could even be conceived as offensive, if we're not, if we're not right in our mind, then we can be offended super easy. We snap back. I do not. Why would you ever say that? For example, you could be in the kitchen in the morning and your spouse walks in and, and takes one look and says, honey, you really shouldn't run the microwave if there's nothing in it. And if we're failing at all these other ways of love that we've talked about, that Yahweh has laid out for us, we can be tempted to be super defensive over everything that they say. And when she says, honey, you really shouldn't run the microwave if there's nothing in it, you know, we might fight back, you know, fire back, say, don't tell me how to run the microwave. I've been running the microwave since I was five years old. Get your gab out of here. I don't want to listen to you telling me how to live my life. And now they might have said it sweetly, but we're already on edge because our marriage is so out of alignment with, with the always plan for us. On the other hand, if we're doing amazing in all these different areas, in our marriage, and, and our spouse just happened to sleep on the wrong side of the bed, woke up wrong, and walks into the kitchen irritated and takes one look at what we're doing and, and in pure disgust says, honey, you really shouldn't run the microwave. There's nothing in it. Duh. If we don't have a chip on our soldier, on our shoulder, because we've been, just went through this AOI marriage series and we're rocking out at our marriage and she says that, honey, you really shouldn't have anything in the microwave. You shouldn't run the microwave. There's nothing in it. We're going to say, thanks, honey. And then they move on. You might think to yourself, wow, she's really involved with the microwave this morning. But you just let it roll off your shoulder. And then hopefully they'll go back to bed and wake up on the right side. But love keeps no record of wrongs. In my, in my home, my wife is an amazing organizer. And she keeps records of everything that we've ever bought, basically, 
And uh, more than that, she knows where it's at. And from my earlier story, you know that I can organize something, but I might not know where it's at, which I guess would not be organizing. But she files everything away. And a while back, I was wanting to put the same vinyl that's on our house on our chicken coop. And so I asked her if she, like, hey, do you remember who we bought that vinyl from? And she's like, mm, let me go check. And so like a minute and 26 seconds later, she's coming downstairs with a 2014 catalog from the vinyl company that we bought that from with, you know, little sticky notes that's already ear-tagged exactly what product we bought and what color. And Michelle is great at not filing away, though, all my failures as her husband. But it can be tempting for us to want to hold on to the wrongs that were inflicted on us and file them away so that we can pull them out anytime we need it. And especially when maybe our spouse is having some pride issues or maybe just completely unaware that they've caused this hurt, which can happen. But love keeps no record. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Speaking about that hurt. We need to make sure that those lines of communication are open so that when hurt has been inflicted, that instead of that wound being there for months and possibly years, festering and never actually healing, instead of all that, having open communication of deep value that will allow your spouse to help you understand how and what you did that caused that deep pain or vice versa. We need to open those past wounds and get them out with truth and properly cared for so that they can heal, so that our marriages can heal. The devil rejoices anytime a spouse holds on to hurt and lets it fester and cause divides in the marriage, sometimes for years. But love delights when the truth is revealed. God forgives our sin when, when, when we petition him with a sincere heart, but healing happens when we open up to one another. Love always protects. Physically, physically protecting our loved ones, I would say for most of us, is, is a pretty easy thing uh, as far as deciding what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. But protecting our spouse when it comes to our relationship and marriage, what does that look like? It looks like when the world is crashing down or, or it feels that the world is crashing down on them, that they can crash in your arms, that you can be a refuge of protection for them. Yahweh is our, number one, is our number one fortress and protector, but to have a partner in life that you can truly trust that will be there for you when all the dust has settled is a huge thing to be able to trust and have comfort in. Next one is love always trust. And this is not speaking about a, a blind trust that is gullible or naive, uh, a trust that has zero skepticism. I, I, I don't believe that anyways. I think what it means is when it says love always trust is when you are truly pursuing your spouse and love them and they are actively pursuing you when something happens that is questionable, that, can raise, that, could, that could raise doubts, we don't reach first for emotions of being betrayed or humiliation or of doubt, but choose to trust first. Choose to believe in our spouse first. Choose to look past what it could mean in a negative way and trust that your spouse is the, is the amazing person that you married. And sometimes it seems that people just can't wait to find the first opportunity to throw someone under the bus, but let's be sure to not do this with our spouse, the person that we're supposed to be closest to. Choose to trust. And love always hopes. If I can be open and honest for a moment, I hope that this whole message has been uh, received as real and, and from my heart and, and, and is beneficial and actually brings value to your marriage. But if I can say something, I really want to ask that you take this part to heart. And that is love always hopes. I know sometimes a marriage can go through a season where it feels like you're more like roommates than someone that you're married to. You know, you, uh, roommates that share a house and kids, 
rather than two people in love brought together by Yahweh's divine plan. Marriage is work. And sometimes the idea of being in love uh, with, the, with the person you stood at the altar with and said, I do with, can seem like a far off story that just isn't in the cards for y'all anymore. But I want to encourage you that love always hopes. I mean, how many times in the Old Testament did, did Israel fail Yahweh, yet the end of their nation never happened? It was never final. Yahshua asked Peter, do you love me? He said, Master, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Three times. And he said, I, you know I love you. What happened? Peter failed Yahshua. Yet he went on to do great things. This hope mentioned here in this verse is a hope of everlasting life, a hope of peace in the kingdom of Yahweh. Love always points to a brighter day ahead. Love and hope is the lifeline that the hurting spouse can hold on to. And it seems that what happens so often in these scenarios is one person is fed up with the way it is, with the way the marriage is, and says, I want my marriage to be better. And it makes a real try at the marriage. Again, to you know, liven things up and, and spice things up and make the things more meaningful and Yahweh-centered in their marriage. But the other person doesn't respond. And so after a while, you get tired of trying. You get, you're getting nowhere and you just think, you know, what's the point? And we go back to the way things were. And then later, maybe a week or maybe a month later, however long, the other spouse the same thing, you know, says, really, I want, I want an intimate relationship with my wife or with my husband. I need to try better. And then they try, you know, I'm tired of living like this. And they go at it. But the other person now has already just gotten done and they're thinking, what's the point? And so then they don't respond and it just goes back and forth. So then he quits too. It's hard for this couple to push at the same time to get the train rolling. This scenario can be a big problem where you end up having two married people feeling like roommates, but it didn't just start there. It'll often start at a much smaller scale. Michelle and I are watching this video recently uh, on marriage by this professor uh, that Lad sent to me, and it's, and it's great. And, uh, and he calls it bidding. You're bidding for attention from your spouse. And uh, you, could be headed, you could be headed down the road and your vehicle and your wife might say, you know, wow, I just love Texas in springtime. Look at all those blue bonnets. And you heard her, but you're over there thinking to yourself, okay, I need to call Jim when I get back to the office, uh, you know. And then nothing happens. You don't do anything. So studies show that once a bid for attention has been put out there and there's no answer, the likelihood of that person putting that same bid out there again is next to zero. Instead, instead, if the bid isn't accepted, they will often, you know, they'll pick up a phone or just find something to distract them real quick because all of a sudden they put a bid out for attention and nothing came back. And so now you just move on. So here's a question. After this happens so many times of that person putting a bid out for attention and getting no response, what do you think is going to happen? Eventually they're going to stop doing that. They'll stop putting bids out. And then... You get the roommate syndrome. But what do you think would happen in that marriage to that couple if they foster a relationship of intimacy and were pursuing one another that whenever a bid got put out there, like we just mentioned, you know, something like, wow, I just love Texas in the springtime. Look at all those blue bonnets. And the husband immediately pops back, you know, wow, those are amazing. I've never seen them that bright this time of year before. Hey, do you remember that time that our family took fixtures in the blue bonnet, you know, patch out there and we stood in front of those, we stood on those ant beds and everyone got stung? That was pretty terrible, wasn't it? You know? And, and but having our antennas up to catch up on those bids whenever our, our spouse is putting them out there. And then that conversation can shift and she says, oh yeah, I remember that time as well. And then you can have a whole conversation, a meaningful conversation. And you feel connected. Love always perseveres. This one can be hard to keep in your mind and on your tongue at those extremely heated, pivotal moments in, in a marriage, in a relationship. I know it's been said before, but this one is one of those issues where it warrants saying it again, and that is 
how important it is to never say the D word in the middle of a marriage fight. It can lead to words that maybe, honestly, that maybe you feel in that moment, but that you don't truly mean, that neither one of you truly mean it. And I'll say that again. If you let the word divorce make its way into an argument, then it can lead to saying things that you feel, but that you don't mean. Guard against this terrible word and the thoughts that, that lead to that moment. In, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And the final part of this verse is, love never fails. Love never fails. People will fail you. Your spouse will fail you. You, you will fail you. The lack of love can lead to a failure, but love will not. Yahweh will not fail. And for Yahweh is love. So love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Let's bow our heads. Yahweh, I ask that you put a, a blessing on each and every single person here that's that's married or thinking about being married or, or wants to be someday that help us to be the people that you call us to be, the, the, the partners that you call us to be, to not think of ourselves, which is, I believe, why you have you created marriage. So otherwise, we'd just be the most selfish beings on this planet by far. But instead, you put us into this relationship with, with a woman and with a man that makes us focus on them, not us. Help us to, to be a loving, caring people. And ask that you put a blessing of peace and covering on each marriage in here today. And in our congregation, that they can be strengthened, that they can have uh, growth, that they can have peace and enjoy one another's time and, and company and not just uh, be roommates that are living together, but actually enjoy one another and always keep you at the center of it. We love you so much. We pray these things in Yeshua, your son's name. Hallelujah. Thank you.